morning, church family. Happy New Year. Let me ask you something. How many of you are believing that in 2024, the best is yet to come? I'm believing that. I'm believing that not only for my life, but also for yours. I'm believing that we are going to see the goodness of God in every area of our lives. That we're going to see more of God's goodness in our marriage, more of God's goodness with our children, more of God's goodness with our jobs. See, there's one thing, church, if I can just come out of the gate and say this, is that I know that God has good things in store for our lives. Not in say easy things. I said good things. So be sure that you don't confuse the two. But Psalms 84 verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give favor and glory. For no good thing does he withhold for the one who walks uprightly. And so I hope to stir your faith with a message this morning that will cause you to believe that God is true to his word. And I emphasize faith because it serves as the conduit through which God delivers his blessings. Faith is the key that unlocks the door to everything that he has in store for us. That's why the scripture says in Hebrews 10, 38, the just shall live by faith. And I just want to highlight this because as we go into the new year believing for greater things, the emphasis isn't on the greater things as much as it is the believing. Because watch this, without faith, it's just a wishful thought. But with faith, we have the power of God to back it up. Which is what Jesus essentially said in Mark 9.23. He said, all things are possible to him who believes. You see, faith doesn't make things easy. It just makes them possible. Are you with me this morning? Well, hey, if you're taking notes, I want you to entitle this message, if you would, The Challenge of Change. And watch this. Life is all about change. Either unexpected change, like change that we don't see coming, or the lack of change, which can be even a greater change challenge. And so the question arises, what do you do when things don't change? What do you do when a marriage doesn't change? When your finances don't change? When your job, your, your child, or your health doesn't change? What do you do when your life looks the same this year as it did last year? See, this can be an even greater challenge than unexpected change because while unexpected change certainly has its challenges, change that you've been praying for and believing for and that hasn't happened yet, it has a way of taking the, the, the wind out of your sails, doesn't it? That's what Solomon was referring to whenever he said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I feel like today's message is one that has been birthed through the fire of adversity in my own life. And I pray that these thoughts will encourage you while at the same time challenge you because there's always a challenge that comes with change. 
If I can say it this way, change is difficult. No matter what kind of change you're talking about, whether it's change that's imposed upon us suddenly or without our approval, or whether it's change that we want to see but hasn't happened, change isn't easy. And I want to just first, if I could, speak to those of you that might be in the latter part of what I just mentioned. You've been believing for change, but it hasn't come. You feel like you've been in a constant holding pattern, waiting for this change that you desire to see manifest in your life. You've prayed earnestly. You've worked tirelessly. And you've hoped endlessly for change, only to find yourself in a familiar place, wondering why things haven't shifted. Can anyone relate to what I'm talking about this morning? Okay, make sure there's the right people here. Well... It's in those moments that it's critical that we remember that waiting is not synonymous with inaction. When change appears elusive, it doesn't mean that our efforts are in vain or that God has turned a deaf ear to our prayers. Instead, it's an opportunity for us to strengthen our resolve, to deepen our faith, and to understand that even in the waiting, there's purpose. Joseph is a great example of what we're talking about right here. He faced adversity after adversity, seemingly stuck in a a never-ending cycle of hardship and disappointment. But he patiently endured. He remained faithful to God's plan. He didn't give up on his dreams, even whenever it appeared as if the dreams were never going to come true. And in the end, his unwavering faith and perseverance led to a remarkable change in his life. And so when the change that you seek doesn't materialize as quickly as you would like to see it, don't lose heart. Trust that there is a divine timeline at work. Use this time to grow, to prepare, and to develop you for the strength that's going to be needed whenever that change finally arrives. And remember, God's timing is perfect. And he has good things in store for your life. It may not be easy, but it will be worth it. Come on, someone say amen. But what do we do while we wait for change? We change. What I mean is the most valuable change is what happens in a person. Without this type of change, we will never completely fulfill our destiny. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, but we all. And so notice that it's not just referencing some of us here, but it says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And that word transformed right there in that verse can be translated as changed. And the implication here is that as followers of Jesus, we are to continually be changing. There's never a time where God wants us to live our life on cruise control. There are things that God has called us to do that serve as a precursor to change. Here in a few minutes, I want to share with you four thoughts or Four guidelines that I have found that have always been a forerunner for change in my life. 
But before I share them, let me just reiterate that change is rarely easy. It is a challenge, even when we're talking about change that's for the good. But watch this. When did we ever come to associate good with being easy? I mean, having a good marriage doesn't mean that you have an easy marriage. As a matter of fact, it's the good marriages that's put in the hard work. You don't just accidentally land upon a good marriage. Just like you don't accidentally land upon having kids who are thoughtful and considerate and and mannerly. You have to put in the hard work of parenting. And if you don't think that it's hard work, then that just tells me that you don't have kids or you've not had them for very long. And every parent who's ever had a junior high kid says, amen. Help me, Jesus. And not only is change a challenge, but there is also a pain that accompanies change. An uncomfortable effort which constantly bids us to avoid change. But as odd as it may sound, I've actually grown to appreciate it. I didn't say that I like it because that would be weird, but I appreciate it. In other words, I recognize the significance of how it's working something out in my life. And one of those verses in the Bible, I think that we're just tempted to skip right past. You know those verses I'm talking about? Uh, Hebrews 5, 8 is one of them. It says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. And what's that mean? That means that with everything that Jesus endured, there was purpose in the pain. Now, this is something that Jesus undoubtedly knew, but he also knew that the purpose far outweighed the pain. That's why the scripture says in Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's what the apostle James was referencing whenever he said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. So what is it that they knew that we don't know? Well, I think it's that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. Amen? Everything that you're going through, it is not without purpose. It is going to be worth it. The blessing is going to be greater than the pain. The gain greater than the grief. Jesus understood this. James understood this. So did many other great men and women of God. But here's our problem. Watch. We want the benefit of the blessing without the process of the pain. And it just doesn't work that way. If I could just say it this way, you don't get to give birth to something without first going into labor. Look, God didn't exempt his own son. So what makes us think that we're going to get an exemption? But the the pain that comes with change is not without purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but that right there, that keeps me from throwing in the towel. Because you see, pain without purpose is pointless. But pain that has purpose is powerful. And it's powerful because it produces perseverance. I think this is such a a timely message because I read that 97% of those who set resolutions at the beginning of the year, they don't follow through with them. 97%, guys. I think 
that maybe in large part it's due to the fact that most people don't have any practical guidance on what to do with change. And so as I mentioned to you earlier, I want to give you four simple guidelines. I encourage you to write this down to take notes today, even if you're not ordinarily a note taker. But I want to give you four simple guidelines to follow that are necessary in order to bring about change. The first guideline is this. Pray. Yeah. You can't do anything greater than pray. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can't do anything greater than to pray. And I don't think that this is a great revelation for those of you that have been serving Jesus for any length of time, but somehow it's as if we misprioritize prayer. What I mean is it's not the first thing that we turn to. Like we try and control the situation. And I don't say this in a condemning way for those of you that this may apply to, but you wouldn't believe how many Christians come to me and they say they want to see change in an area of their life. And then whenever I ask them how much they've been praying about it, it's little to none. And some of those areas are major areas of their life, like their marriage or their parenting or their finances or their job. But friends, watch this. Whatever area you do not bathe in prayer, it won't succeed. Now watch this. When I say success, I'm not defining success as the world defines it because success in the kingdom of God means that God's will is being done and that his purpose is being established. James 4, 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. This is one of those scriptures that you should print out and just post it on your refrigerator because it's so easy for us to take matters into our own hands rather than to trust them into God's hands. Recently, I heard someone blame God for a prayer that they never prayed. They said this. Don't worry, it's none of you in this room. <laughs> says, I can't believe that God didn't something or do something about that. And so I asked him, I said, did you ask God to do something about it? And the person, of course, just stared at me. And by the look they gave me, uh, I don't think they liked my question. <laughs> but it was probably because they knew that I knew the answer to that question. But church, watch this. Without prayer, the best that you can do is the best that you can do. But with prayer, the best that you can do is the best that God can do. Amen. Now, if you were to say, but pastor, I've been praying. Then don't stop. James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you've not seen the thing that you have prayed for come to pass, well, it could be that God is still working out the details behind the scenes. I mean, you know God does do that, right? But it could also be, and hear me on this, it could also be that you're praying for something that you don't yet have the infrastructure to support. That's why I'm saying that it's the first thing we should do, but it's not the only thing. Like, for example, some of you may be praying for a specific job, but do you have the infrastructure in place to keep and maintain the job if God were to answer your prayer? See, I believe that asking is part of the equation, but it's not all of the equation, which is why I'm not just giving you one guideline. 
So let's look at the second guideline to help us navigate this challenge of change. And that is to get rid of excuses. Church, can I just tell you that in every area of your life that you want to bring change, there will always be opposition that will come in the form of an excuse. We accept them as reasons, but they're really excuses. But in order for us to see the change through to the finish line, you've got to have a no-excuse mindset. See, here's what I found to be true. If something's important to you, you'll find a way. But if it's not, you'll find an excuse. Dwight Moody once said, excuses are the cradle that Satan rocks men off to sleep in. So if you've been making excuses as to why you can't do something, let me be your alarm clock. Wake up. Now's the time to break free from that cycle of well-formed lies called excuses. Y'all with me, church? And by the way, excuses are one of the devil's oldest tricks. Did you know that? I mean, if you remember back in the Garden of Eden, whenever man ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what did Adam do? Adam blamed Eve. And then whenever God went to Eve, what did Eve do? She blamed the serpent. Well, those excuses didn't get them very far now, did they? Matter of fact, Jesus speaks to a group of people who made excuses in Luke chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. He says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. You see, excuses have been around from the very beginning. But if we want to see change brought about in our lives, and if we want to fulfill our God-ordained destiny, we have to have a no-excuse mindset. Those are the people that God uses greatly. And so we've got to pray. We've got to get rid of the excuses. And then the third guideline is we have to make the break. And there's always a break that needs to be made. Because if you're moving towards something, then that means that you're moving away from something. Let me say it this way. To say yes to one thing means that you are saying no to another. And so you've got to take an honest evaluation of your life and determine what that is. And if you aren't able to determine what that is, then ask someone who loves Jesus and that knows you. And when I say loves you, loves you enough to be honest with you about what needs to go. Now, I'm going to throw out just a few areas that I believe just might hit some of us here this morning. In today's world, we are immersed in a generation that is perpetually captivated by screens. This digital fixation, it has given rise to social anxiety. It has fostered addiction. And unfortunately, it has hindered genuine face-to-face connections. And to put it plainly, it's become a barrier to all the incredible purposes that God has designed for our lives. Now, if that is you, I say in love, make the break before it breaks you. There are others who have toxic relationships in their lives. 
And this is a break that we try to make excuses for because we come up with these things in our mind that says, oh, but who's going to reach that person for Christ if I don't reach them as if their salvation's contingent upon us? As if God can't and won't use the other 7.8 billion people who are on this planet. But toxic relationships are ones that need to be broken, as a matter of fact. And I feel this in my spirit right now. There's some of you that you are in the same place that you are this year as last year. And it's because of a relationship that you have refused to cut off. And I'm not just talking about those in the world, by the way. But I'm also talking about those within the church that struggle with some of the same things that you do. And it's never good to surround yourself with those who struggle with the same addictions or hang up as you. Now, I want you to hear me on that because, look, not everyone that's sitting in this building is going to be your prescribed soil. You need to find the person that's going to cause you to grow, that's going to bring life. And if they're not bringing life, you know what I've done? I did it years ago, church. I just made a decision. If there's someone in my life that's constantly bringing me down, that's constantly being negative, if they're not causing me to grow in my faith and to become closer to God, look, I make the break. I just do. You say, but what about that person, Pastor? God will use another believer to go minister to that person because I can't. Are you with me? Because that person is affecting me. Kind of like whenever you get on uh, an airplane, and what is it they tell you to do whenever the oxygen comes down? They tell you to make sure that you put the mask on first and then take care of everyone else. I used to think that that was so selfish because I thought, man, why don't you help everyone else? Until I realized, unless I'm breathing, I can't help anyone else. You need to be healthy or you're not going to be able to help anybody else. So what we're talking about right here is making the break so that you are healthy. Now, let me just say, if this sounds a little bit hard or, or extreme, let me just read you what Jesus had to say about those who had things that would cause them to sin or just maybe cause them to miss their purpose. In Matthew 5, 29 and 30, Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, whether you interpret what Jesus says as literal or figurative, I think the implication is the same. Do whatever is needed to break free from what's holding you back. If you need to change jobs, change jobs. If you need to get a flip phone so that you're not able to get onto the internet or onto social media, then do whatever you got to do. If you need to cancel Netflix, not just because of the content that's on there, but because of the amount of time that it's been robbing from your life, make the break. And maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, some of those things that you're talking about here, they're not necessarily sin. Well, guess what? Sin is defined as coming up short. And anything that causes us to come up short of the purpose of God should be something that we give serious consideration to, right? I mean, maybe that thing isn't what we might ordinarily categorize as sin, but watch this. Paul said that though all things are lawful to us or permissible, not all things are beneficial. In other words, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And it takes both maturity and humility to recognize that. 
And then there's the fourth and final guideline that we need to apply if we want to be victorious in the challenge of change. And that is to put on the new. You've prayed about it. You've killed your excuses. You've made the break. And now you've got to put on the new. Now, what's that mean? That means to begin start doing what you've not been doing. And watch this, because this one right here just might be the hardest guideline of all, because we all want to feel it before we do it. I remember one time one of my daughters wanted to earn some money, and she wanted me <clears throat> to pay her before she did the work. And I had to lovingly inform her that it doesn't work that way, that your work comes, all, or your pay comes only after the work has been done. And church, this is true in life. Everyone wants the benefits that come from change, but no one wants to put in the hard work that brings about the change. But you see, a change is a discipline before it becomes a delight. Think about that for a minute. Change is a discipline before it's a delight. I remember where I was at. I was at Jensen Franklin's church, and someone shared that truth with me, and something went off. He said this, and he was speaking to us young pastors. He said, there's going to be things that you're going to do in your life, and you're going to have a high sense of duty. Like, you know it's the right thing to do, but your desire is going to be really low. He said, that's okay. Keep doing it anyway because it's the right thing to do. And he says, what will happen is eventually that sense of duty will begin to drop, and that sense of delight will begin to increase. Change is a discipline before it becomes a delight. In other words, most people, they don't come right out of the gate enjoying change. Like most people don't enjoy the first week of a diet or the first few weeks of going to the gym. Most people don't enjoy getting up Another hour early in the morning to spend time in worship and devotion with the Lord. Most people don't like giving more of their money to the church and paying their tithes. But they love what these things will do for them. They love what the diet will do for them. They, they love how the exercise makes them feel. They, they love the peace and the strength that comes through their prayer and worship time. And they love the blessings that God pours out upon them whenever they see that they're finally giving. See, putting on the new is an integral part of the process of change. What I mean is once you've made the break, now you've got to connect yourself with the right people, the right schedule, and put into place the right habits in your life. Because if you don't, you'll continue to do the same things that you've always done, and then you'll just experience the same, the more of the same, the same old, same old. Now, I don't know about you, but... I don't want more of the same. Hello? I don't want yesterday's manna. I want what God has for me today. Ephesians 4, 22 says to put off your old self. Well, that's the break that we were talking about earlier. And then in verse 24, it says to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The phrase to put on in the Greek word there, it means to clothe oneself. 
And we talked about this several weeks ago, if you remember, in our Unhindered series where Paul wrote about this in Colossians. It means taking off the old and putting on the new. And while the process of change can mean putting on the new in many different ways, I want to just end this morning with the new that we must all put on. It's Romans 13, 14. It says, clothe yourself or put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, any attempt at change outside of putting on Christ is the best that you can do rather than the best that God can do. You see, it's in Christ that we find purpose for the pain, strength for the struggle, and faith for the fight. And the desire that I have for you as your pastor is a change that lasts Not just a change that comes out of the gate quickly, but one that crosses the finish line. See, that type of change right there is one that's both initiated and sustained by the Holy Spirit. But there is a response that's required on our end. One which relinquishes control and submits every area of their life to Jesus. Now, I'm talking to those who have yet to trust Jesus for salvation, but I'm also talking to the believers who have yet to trust him in some area of their lives, in their marriage, in their finances, their parenting, in their workplace, in their health. See, today is the day that you get to decide whether you want to step into the new that God has for you or continue in the same old, same old. But one thing is for sure, we can't be who we want to be by remaining who we are. Man, join me, stand with me if you would, please. I'm going to lead us in prayer, but before I do, I want to just first say to those who you have given your life to Christ and you're going to understand my reference, if you want new wine, then you're going to need new wine skin. You with me? And you need to put into application these truths that I shared with you. Very simple truths. Very simple truths. Very attainable truths. They're very attainable if you'll stay surrendered. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you will remain surrendered, these these four truths, I promise you that the power of the Holy Spirit of God, the same power that raised Christ from dead that dwells within you, he will enable you. Better yet, even empower you to be able to put these principles into application. But now, those of you that are here that you have not given your lives to Christ, please hear my plea. Whether you're here in person or watching online, God loves you. He loves you just the way that you are. And in order for you to receive God's mercy and his forgiveness, that doesn't mean that you have to make this upfront change. See, religion says that if we will change, then God will accept us. But the gospel says that the love of God will change us. His love, it precedes change. You see, God isn't looking to improve the old you. He's looking to make a new you. And that begins by us surrendering our lives to his lordship. And so if that's you, and you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, what a wonderful way to end this year and begin the start of a new year. And any time that I see that there's 
this many people in a room, I know that there's someone here that has yet to fully give their life to Christ. And I want to give you that invitation as a minister of the gospel right now. All you have to say to God is yes. I receive the free gift that you gave me by sending your son Jesus to come and to die on the cross, paying the sin debt that you owed. And friend, make no mistake about it, you have a sin debt, I have a sin debt, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus paid that debt when he went to the cross. His spilled blood was a representation that our sin would be washed white as snow. And so if you want to have that promise of heaven, if you want to have that assurance that your sin is wiped clean, now hear me on this for a moment. I feel in my heart right now that maybe there's someone here, you're even a little bit older in life, and you think, man, I've heard this, but they don't know what all I've done. No, I don't, but God does. And though your sin is as scarlet, in other words, maybe you've been through four or five divorces. Maybe you've had an abortion. Maybe you lived an alternate lifestyle. Maybe you were atheist. Maybe you were a different religion. Maybe you've got a felony. Though your sin was as scarlet, he said that he will wash you white as snow. Listen, the proof of your pulse is proof that you have purpose. And the fact that you're alive today means that you are still a recipient of God's great grace. God's hand is not so short that he cannot reach you. And so if you want to receive God's forgiveness, I promise you, friend, that right now if you will say to God, God, I surrender my heart to you. I want to be a follower of Christ that at this exact moment he will take every mark that has been written against you, every sin, and throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. He's a good God like that. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is, by the way. And so if that's you, and you say, Pastor, that's it. I want, I want Jesus. I receive it. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to pray with me right now. Those of you that are watching online, you can join in together. And we're going to confess Jesus as Lord right now. Pray this out loud. Pray these words from the bottom of your heart. Saints of God, join in with us. Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess my need for a Savior. I ask you, Jesus, be my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to turn from it. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for my sin and the sin of the world. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave just as your word says. Now I want to live my life to know you, to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we thank God for salvation this morning? Now listen, I want to speak to those of you that are believers, that you're discouraged. You feel like you've not seen that change brought about. I want to encourage you, don't throw in the towel. Don't throw in the towel. The fervent, effectual prayer of the righteous Bible says it availeth much. Sorry, I memorized it in the King James, but it means this. It means prayer is powerful. Matter of fact, I speak this word 
over many of you right now who you felt like there's been a word that God has, has spoke over your life and you've not seen it come to pass. Look at me for a minute. Not one word from God will fall to the ground. But God will carry out everything that he's purposed over your life. You might be a little bit older than you thought whenever it came to pass. But guess what? You will fulfill all that God has purposed for you if you will stay surrendered to him. Amen. And so I want to just pray for those of you that are here that you're like, you just need that encouragement from the Lord. Lord, I pray over every person that's here, Lord, that is discouraged, Lord, that feels like they've been in a holding pattern. Lord, we know that when you have us in a holding pattern, there's something down on the ground that we don't know that you're working on. And so I thank you for that. But Lord, even in the process, Lord, you're continuing to work on us. You're continuing, Lord, to cause us to grow and to be prepared and to work on that infrastructure so that whenever that change does come, it's going to be sustainable. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name.